When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Ryan Cole. Who, who are we missing? Who are we missing? Well, what we're missing first is that I was supposed to be starting the opening of the show because that's what you just tapped me on the arm and tell me, but then you're going to interrupt me and start talking about like you starting to start a show, and <laughs> I was supposed to be starting to start a show because Pastor Toby still ain't here yet. No. Why do you take my job, man? It's so I, racist. I, I wasn't. It's the racist thing you've done on the show in a very long time, and let me tell you, you've done some pretty, <laughs> <laughs> some pretty bad things, huh? <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment for years yeah. to be able to have the good Dr. Robert Malone on yeah. the show. Yeah. I've been waiting for this moment, and me so too. Hurry up. Yeah. Let's get to it right away. All right. This show is brought to you by Classical Conversations. Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents yes. by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. They provide a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, actually. Yeah. And they train parents who are striving to be a great classical educators in the home. For more information and get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Again, that's classicalconversations.com. Our day love, ones. Love Dr. Robert. No, not Dr. Robert Borton. Oh, no. Well, uh, Dr. He, Robert Malone. Why not? It's just Robert Borton and what he's doing over there at Classical Conversations. So check it out. Like, as the good Chocolate Knox said, not the good Dr. Chocolate Knox. Although just, I would just, take a doctorate. Take if someone wants to give me an honorary yeah. doctorate, you can do that. Dr. Malone uh, was born October. Apparently, we have his bio. He was born on October 20th, 1959, is an American physician and biochemist. His early work focused on mRNA technology. Was, was he responsible for yes. Operation Warp, Warp Speed? Well, we'll what, find out. About that, yeah. Pharmaceuticals and drug repurposing research. Dr. Malone, thank you so much for finally, finally coming on Cross Politic. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, not because I was avoiding it in any way. I just we guess we hadn't connected. Well, we're not that popular. We get it. We're not that important. Joe Rogan's way more important than we are. But listen, uh, so uh, my first question is this. I didn't find you until the pandemic started to take place. And after the vaccines, you popped on the scene for me with the Joe Rogan interview, like so many others. And so my question was that there's been a lot of things that I followed you on since that moment of you being on the show. Um, you've revealed so much about the vaccines and the healthcare industry. Where were you at before COVID happened and how much of this was a revelation to you because of the plays that you started happening, the plays you started seeing happening through COVID? And were you this way before COVID happened, but you just didn't have a platform? What changed? What happened? Well, I've always been who I am. Uh, I've had I'm not I've had a rough time of it. Uh, mm. this hasn't been, uh, and you know, my career has not been an easy thing for me. 
Uh, I started off as a carpenter and a farmhand and worked my way up through community college and through uh, UC Davis with a degree in biochemistry and an emphasis on molecular biology. And then uh, had a fellow, a, a MD PhD scholarship at Northwestern. Uh, my wife didn't like living in Chicago very much and neither did I. <laughs> and uh, then we transferred to do my graduate work at UC San Diego in the Salk Institute. Jill and I grew up on the central coast of California in Santa Barbara. And uh, there I was very focused on advancing the and uh, in, in making use of the knowledge I already had having to do with retroviruses from my undergraduate years. I was in the one of the laboratories that were right at the very forefront of the AIDS outbreak in mm. 1983. And so I was well-versed in retrovirology and the leading technology for use for gene therapy, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pediatrician that would heal children that had genetic inborn errors in metabolism. Mm. And the leading technology involved recombinant retroviruses for gene therapy. So I went to one of the top gene therapy labs in the world at the Salk Institute, that of Indoverma, and managed to get in there. It's an incredibly competitive postdoctoral lab at the time in the Institute of Molecular Biology and Virology. And while I was there, I was asking questions about how to process and, and understand how RNA gets packaged into retroviruses. So I had to develop a bunch of technology to ask the questions. And that's what gave rise to the RNA vaccine technology as well as DNA vaccines. I was already schooled in vaccinology from my AIDS days, and I'd also worked with Robert Lamb at Northwestern on influenza viruses. And so that became my career. Uh, I had a series of discoveries at the Salk that uh, led to nine issued patents, um, but also led to a whole bunch of uh, ugly academic politics with more with senior professors trying to take credit and wanting to get on the patents and all that kind of stuff. And I got caught in the crossfire, ended up with uh, a nervous breakdown and post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. But I finished my MD and uh, went back into academe, and I was a assistant professor and then an associate professor in pathology for many years, focused on non-viral gene therapy. So I kind of challenged the paradigm of using viruses for gene therapy, mm. and particularly focused on using gene therapy technology for vaccines. And that was going along fine until uh, the late... Uh, 90s at when I was at University of Maryland, Baltimore, when uh, there was a death uh, from gene therapy at UPenn mm. um, from Mr. Jim Wilson, who overdosed a young child with an adenovirus vector, and the child went into uh, disseminated intravascular coagulation, which is a form of shock, and died. Because uh, the uh, professor Wilson had not respected the clinical trial protocol mm. and had overdosed the patient, had continued to escalate because the patient hadn't responded to the lower doses. It turns out that there was a fundamental problem there, which is why that happened. But I was taking a training in bioethics at the time, and my mentor told me 
when I told him what I knew about the situation, he said I had an obligation to tell the world about this, about what I knew. And uh, I knew that if I did that, it would destroy my academic career. But I went ahead and did it. And in fact, it did destroy my academic career. And I left the university, uh, went to work uh, for the Department of Defense, building a breast cancer research program and uh, a research institute in Western Pennsylvania. So I entirely shifted my focus, but I kind of went underground and I continued to be off the radar and underground uh, pretty much for the rest of my career because I had, there was a lot of haters in academe. Yeah. Uh, and I basically worked as a consultant uh, and um, worked within Department of Defense and increasingly in biodefense because that's the job I could get with a new company called Dineport Vaccine Company. And I was actually uh, associate clinical director in charge of virtually all biodefense agents for the Department of Defense. Mm. That's where I learned about the whole biodefense world. And this all happened right after 9-11. So it was pretty hot then. Mm-hmm. So I've worked on the smallpox vaccine, on anthrax vaccines, on uh, vaccines for, for various uh, um, uh, respiratory viruses and uh, um, neurologic viruses, et cetera. All the things that they believe they need to have for the warfighter. Wow. Protect them. And uh, then I left Dineport, I actually got laid off uh, when Tony Fauci took over all the money for the anthrax vaccine. And uh, I became a consultant focused on regulatory affairs, uh, took a fellowship at Harvard Medical School in uh, global clinical research, and went about my business. I've been involved in multiple infectious disease outbreaks. I was at the tip of the spear in moving forward the Ebola vaccine and got that licensed to Merck. And that's now the licensed Merck Ebola vaccine. I worked very hard repurposing drugs for Zika with partners at the DOD. And then along came this one. And uh, this was very different. The government obviously uh, behaved very differently, uh, used a lot of propaganda techniques, censorship, and other things that I'd never encountered before. And they started doing things under Operation Warp Speed that I had been taught were just illegal. Mm. And in particular, bioethics of forcing people to take these experimental products. I'm deeply trained in and experienced in regulatory affairs. And I understand exactly what the language is of the emergency use authorization and its limitations. And what was being done was just wrong. And it kind of came to a head when Steve Kirsch arranged for me to have a phone call with a Canadian physician who was reporting adverse events with the vaccine, and they were all being ignored and deleted. Mm. And furthermore, he, he told me on a Saturday evening teleconference about how the Canadian government was coercing children, which is an absolute no, no Mm. in terms of giving them ice cream and other things to try to get them to take the jab. And I, and I didn't know what I could do to help him, but I woke up the next morning and realized I could write an article about the bioethics of this and what was wrong. And I thought that was a safe area. I thought that talking about bioethics was clearly something I was qualified for, 
Nobody was talking about the bioethics of what was going on. They were very clear in terms of the law, as far as I was concerned. What was being done was clearly illegal. Uh, and so I thought I was on solid ground. Uh, and then that kind of set the whole thing in motion. Uh, so that's long before the Rogan hit. And uh, um, even before the hit that I did uh, with Steve Kirsch and Brett Weinstein on the Dark Horse podcast, was, which is really the one that brought me into public attention. Right. And you may or may not know that Brett and his uh, brother, Eric, are close buddies with Joe. And so that's a big part of what led me to uh, be invited okay. down to Joe's studio and to do that infamous hit where I was setting up the uh, Lincoln Memorial protests, the Stop the Mandate rally that was so successful in January. That was the whole purpose of that hit. But, you know, unbeknownst to anybody, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter decided to deplatform me like two days before the recording. <sighs> and then Joe thought that it was such a good hit that he played it New Year's Eve and ran it, you know, kind of accelerated it above, ahead of a lot yeah. of the other ones that he'd done that they had in a can. And that just went, you know, just went nuclear, broke the Internet. Yeah. Um, I talked about mass formation psychosis yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the theories of my friend Matthias Desmet and the propaganda and what was going on in the hospitals and the perverse financial incentives that yeah. the government was creating and all that stuff that I guess no one had ever heard before. And uh, for me, it was just the thing that that all of the physicians that I was working with were we're talking about, we were doing rallies and presentations. This is all stuff that we'd been talking about, but no one was really hearing it. Right. But then Joe Rogan has the biggest platform in the world, I think, hands down. And I've heard numbers of, you know, in the range of 50 to 100 million views on that. It, it wow. literally did uh, cause Google to uh, manually manipulate search wow. results. Uh, it, 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 it triggered a lot of, uh, the Silicon Valley, uh, censorship complex. And so that's the story of that. You know, um, when, um, just a little bit about us when the pandemic started in March, 2020, um, I think it was April or by the end of April, we had found Dr. Jay Bhattacharya and yeah. Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Jay, we were, I just, I just did a hit with Jay a couple days ago. Okay, Nice. We were the we. He's told me this multiple times. He said we were the first ones to platform him, uh, um, after ex, ex, with the exception of his own internal Stanford interview with. Uh, That's how I found him. Was uh, the Stanford was the Stanford interview, um, and so we were, uh, I, I, we instinctively and theologically knew that that something was wrong. We knew theologically that the, that the government didn't have authority from God to tell people when to go to work and when not to go to work and what to wear on their face. I mean, that's just Bible 101 stuff. Um, and then we kind of instinctively knew that like something's broken here when um, something's broken in our culture and our politics that this is starting to go crazy. I mean, Fauci, you know the deal. Fauci in March was saying, you know, masks don't work on 60 minutes. And then a month later, two months later, he was saying, yeah, you need to wear masks. And then six months later, you need to double up on masks. And so, um, when, when you came out on the Joe Rogan, I think, I think some people had kind of 
known. I agree with you that that people weren't listening like they should. But when you came on Joe Rogan and with your background and came out and said what you said, it was like a breath of fresh air. Like and and you were able also to put terminology to like the mass psychosis thing. You were able to explain things in a way that we kind of knew something was going on, but that 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 terminology. I remember my wife caught your interview first and put me onto it. And you, you were able to really explain a lot of things that were like, okay, that's what's going on. Yeah, Matthias has told me that uh, I'm the only one that he's aware of that has accurately summarized his ideas. He's become a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I visited him in his home. We spent time together in southern Spain shooting a movie, etc. Um, he's been here. He stayed in our farm. Uh, but... Uh, that's that. Thank you for that comment. I've tried. I guess that's one of the advantages of having been uh, basically a farmer and a carpenter uh, when I was younger. And we still I think we are on our fifth small farm. We run a small farm here uh-huh. and we produce a high quality horse. And uh, Virginia is a purple state. Yeah. Which means you kind of got to get along with everybody. Yeah. Uh, and. It has a strong conservative and religious component. Uh, Matt and Mercedes Schlapp live about 15 miles north of here. There's some, you know, they're the people that run CPAC. Yeah. There's some hardcore conservatives in uh, Rappahannock County in Northern Virginia yeah. that have brought us into their world. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I may go on the podcast with you, but earlier today I was uh, chatting up one of my neighbors uh, who has to swap in the new Allison on my uh, yep, dually uh, GMC 3500. Yep. And before that, I was talking to the guys that are busy doing the body work to cut out the uh, rot in my rocker panels. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I had to, I went up to Kubota to pay my bill uh, for the tractor parts. I've, you know, so I get, I got to get along with everybody. I got to, live in the world. Right. I don't have the, you know, not to trash Jay, but he's a great example. And Jay and I get along great. And I understand his academic world. I used to live in it. I don't like it very much. Uh, but it's, it's been a weird world for me because I, I cross all these different disciplines. And one of the good things that's good about it, that's, that's helpful about that is I can talk to people. Um, I, I can I can talk to academics and I can talk to politicians um, and I can talk to uh, the guy that cuts my hay and he, he loves to uh, have a good long tongue wag with me uh, from time to time. And I personally, I love it. Uh, I love being able to just interact with a wide range of people, listen to them, learn from them. And of course, key to that is treating them with respect. Sure. Uh, and, um, that's kind of one of my fundamental principles and I'm, I've absolutely been embraced by the Christian community and, uh, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm thinking, I think the next major thing I want to do is to reread the new Testament. I, the other day I was at a presentation from one of my conservative buddies on, uh, the city of David mm-hmm. and the archaeological exp- excavations that are going there. Um, all that stuff is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, That's it's right. real. That's right. Jesus walked on those steps, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and went up to the temple mount. I mean, that's, it's real. Yeah. 
and uh it's it's not some myth uh it's solid and uh as i think all the way through this covid crisis you know and and come to grips with for instance the true evil mm-hmm. that we've all encountered i mean it is evil mm-hmm. and whether you want to ascribe it to lucifer or uh um marxism and utilitarianism uh it's evil mm-hmm. and uh the best language and metaphors to understand all this in my experience have come from the bible and particularly the new testament all the way to the the journey of jesus and uh the things that he encountered in that journey as someone who was a truth teller yeah and someone who was committed to uh to sharing a message of peace and who became betrayed, uh, you know, in the famous uh, uh, Last Supper. Um, that the I, I I think that I really have to go back and read that because I think that there's a lot of lessons there that I can take home that may help me to Amen. Uh, adapt to this uh, weird world we're in right now. Dr. Maloney, actually, um, I have an ad to read, but it's actually, you just led me really well into that ad. So thank you for like our sponsors. It's like he's a part of the show. He's like part of the show doing this. We got a seat for you over here, Dr. Maloney. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Come in here and sit (laughs) down. And and maybe Dr. Malone and his wife want to take a little vacation. Out to Moscow? uh, Out to to Kentucky. Oh. Uh, My ad read is actually, we have every, for those who who listen to us, we actually do a, a national conference. Uh, usually on the East Coast, and this year, Doctor Malone. Just so you, you know that our our conference this year is at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. The Ark Encounter is kind of this life size re- replica of the Ark. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. So the poli- uh, this year's conference is the politics of six day creation, and the politics of six day creation establishes the authority and sufficiency of God's word for all of life, from what is a man or a woman. When does human life begin, and how is human society best organized? Come here, Ken Ham, Pastor Doug Wilson, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Gordon Wilson. You know the right, right yeah, in the dance, right, right in the right dance, in the dance yeah. Gordon Wilson. Uh, you know Toby. Uh, we're going to do a live show. He will actually be there. Uh, at the Joe conference. Rigney, uh, and I mean so much more. We kick the conference off on a Wednesday night with beer and this psalms. Is, by the way, this is starting earlier. Yeah, this is starting a day earlier. Wednesday night beer and psalms. Before that, we're going to do a, a corporate partner and friends event uh, and do a is whiskey bourbon tour. Is um, the tour happening? We're, we're making sure it can happen. We're checking into the logistics. Uh, and then we're going to be doing a beer and psalms on yes. Wednesday night. Thursday, we have a pre-business conference. Yep. Uh, and then Thursday night, the conference kicks off with Pastor Toby, Ken Ham the next day. It's it's a packed full conference. But the reason why we started it a day earlier this year, so everyone can have time to go visit the Ark Encounter, which is about a three, four hour experience, yep. and the Science Museum, which is again about a three, four hour experience. So mark your calendars for October 11th through the 14th as we fight, laugh, and feast with beer and psalms, our amazing lineup of speakers, our rowdy Christian merch, and a Sabbath feast at the Ark uh, to wrap up the occasion. And... Um, you know, the ark was symbolic of an infant baptism. So, I mean, Baptist, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. Visit fightlaughfeast.com for more information. Uh, so, so Dr. Malone. Well, I mean, no, no, no. I get the next question. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Put all your right. mic down. Right. I'm going to mute it. I'm done. Doc, okay. I have so many questions I want to ask you. We don't have yeah. time for all of them. But 
the one there's there's a couple that's pressing, um, but I think the one that's most important to me. I, I am getting annoyed now. I think not annoyed, but we have we were so f- for us here at Cross Politic, we were so early in the pandemic conversation. We were talking about it. We were trying to tell people not to shut down their businesses. That don't ma- shut down their church. Masks don't work. If it really is a real problem, you, you're going to get it. If you think a mask is going to protect you, it's not going to work. There was so much information that we had post the pandemic to tell us those things. So we 20 had 20 years, 30 years yeah. of scientific literature. Uh, Danae yeah. Rancourt on um, uh, all death mortality, right? All uh, cause mortality. Uh, yeah. And uh-huh. so there's so many things that were there. So we've been a part of this conversation forever. So it feels like in one sense, for us anyway, now that things are somewhat back to normal, that all of this is, is in one sense, is over, right? Um, and so the talk that people are still having about it seems like, I want to get back to building. I want to get back to building something that is obviously whatever we had built before wasn't enough. It didn't have enough strength to hold up against the tyranny that we had, right? right? And so I want to get back to building. I want to get back to getting to work. But I want to ask you, with all that you've been through and everything that you've seen, how then shall we live in a post-COVID world? Okay, two two key things. Um, one specifically relates to your community. Uh, myself, Ryan Cole, and, and the rest of us have been traveling all over the world. And Matthias Desmond. By the way, Matthias is deeply spiritual. Um Unfortunately, I did a, a great recording here, a group recording, uh, and the audio is horrible. <laughs> so it, we didn't get the mics uh, good enough. Send it over. And so I can't use it. the footage. Send it over. Uh, hey, send it over. Send we it might to be able me. To fix I'll it. fix it for yeah. you. Okay. Well, um, so uh, the communities of faith all over the world have been the most resistant to this. Uh, um, crowd uh, psychosis phenomena to the hypnosis and uh, the psyops and propaganda that's been deployed on all of us. And I think it's a combination of uh, their faith, their the grounding in Judeo-Christian ethics in particular, but it's also true in Muslim communities. And the fact that they are part of strong communities, and that's the bridge that I want to key off of. We're heading, in my opinion, I don't want to sound apocalyptic, but our opponents have been planning what they have been deploying on us for decades now. Mm -hmm. Anyone that reads Event 2030 looks at what's happening in the World Health Organization and the international health regulations they're trying to jam through our throat and everything else. Um, you will come to terms with the fact that this is long planned. David Martin has been doing, who's a good friend. He lives very close here. He's buying a farm just by uh, Jefferson's old place. And uh, uh, we went to the ballpark the other day uh, to watch the uh, nationals get whipped by the, uh, uh, what was it? The uh, I want to say the rattlesnakes. Um, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Seattle. The, no, the Arizona team. Oh, um, oh yeah, Arizona Cardinals. And uh, and we had a good chat on the way up and the way back. Uh, Martin has has really done a good job of documenting and discussing the whole uh, planning that went into the COVID crisis and manipulation associated with it. Mm. And he just did another hit on this through London Real that's worth watching. 
And then he, of course, did a fantastic job as the lead speaker at our recent International COVID Summit at the European Parliament in Brussels, Mm -hmm. which is that's been seen by something between two and three billion people Mm. at this point. So it's actually quite a bit larger, the distribution than the Joe Rogan hit. Um, So it's it's quite clear that this was this a, a series of things that have been in planning phase for a very long period of time were deployed. And uh, Dave Martin makes the point that he thinks that this was a crime against humanity and it was basically an act of war against humanity that occurred over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's merit to his argument. But what that means is that these people, the World Economic Forum, the large financial backers that are behind this, the WEF in conjunction with the United Nations, uh, they're they're not stepping back. They're not cutting back on the throttle. They're accelerating things. Mm. Uh, they, they've been kind of forced out into the open, and their response isn't, uh, oops, we've been caught, uh, or oops, we screwed up. Their response is, we got to double down hard. Mm. The The upshot of that is that those folks of us, and it may be only 10%, I mean, there's a a case to be made that there's only 5 to 10% of people that really value freedom. Mm. Mm. And most people want to be told what to do. That's no question. For those of us that live in communities and value freedom and value our communities, we're going to have to um, really buckle up and and focus on community community building mm-hmm. building our infrastructure and capabilities you mentioned children homeschooling is a key component of that yeah uh and um move towards a future in the near term where we're even more self-reliant yep and it's it's a hard thing to say, but I from where you guys are coming from, I suspect you're already living it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that I think is uh, the path forward. It's Dave Martin comes from uh, fundamental uh, Amish and Mennonite roots, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, he's be a good person to have on your show one of these days. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, for those of us that that have this background in farming and agriculture and uh, live in in kind of small town rural communities, uh, we generally get it. Uh, the, the big city folks are and the and the bicoastal politicians are not our friends. Mm-hmm. And the plans that they have for us may all sound good from Brussels or from Washington or from New York City or San Francisco. But they don't generally sound very good for those of us that uh, live in the way that we do Mm -hmm. and that value freedom. We don't really want to be told what to do. And that if you if you think if you think through living in a world of intentional communities, as I suspect you already do, uh, there's a whole bunch of problems you have to solve. Now, the Amish have shown us that they can be solved. Right. The Amish are very Mm -hmm. self-reliant. but they also show us that intentional communities can't be too big, that there's problems with barter as a system. I mean, one of the problems that we're going to have to solve is how do we enable trade? What do we use? And, and uh, if, if the currency becomes a uh, digital currency, 
that's centrally controlled, so central bank digital currency that allows them to control us in so many ways, as we saw they will do at the drop of a hat with the Toronto truckers. Yeah. You know, how do how do we solve that problem of of um trade and exchange among these intentional communities that are going to have to be built? And many people think that uh, decentralized cyber currency is the solution that or precious metals or, you know, it goes on. It's that's a big problem. How do you get your medical care? How do you educate your kids? All those things are going to have to be solved and we're going to have to work together to find those solutions. But the core thing is community building community commitment to community um, having a set of common principles and ethics that you can all agree on. And and from my point of view, the Judeo-Christian ethical framework mm-hmm. is one that has withstood the test of millennia. And there is no reason, uh, all of this, you know, we need to get rid of religion, we need to get rid of Christianity, uh, you know, those are obsolete concepts, and we need to move towards this bundle of things that we call wokeism. Mm-hmm. That's a great big experiment that's going to fall flat on its face. It's going to take a generation or two with it, like we already see the huge damage that's right. to the young people right now from the school shutdowns. Mm-hmm. And somehow we've got to be, you know, the classical intentional community, as far as I'm concerned, is the monasteries in the Middle Ages. Mm. Uh, Amish communities are another one, of course, but... Mm-hmm. Somehow we're going to have to find a way to tunnel through time while a lot of bad stuff is happening around us, maintain our integrity, continue to value human dignity, continue to build community and respect for each other and, and communities based on a, a ethical framework that allows us to maintain our integrity mm-hmm. and to avoid this uh, dark future that we see portrayed in so much of science fiction, mm-hmm. you know, the Mad Max world where it's, it's, you know, it's warlords and everybody is, is uh, just um, trying to, you know, uh, get what they can for themselves. That's a, that's a dark, ugly future. Uh, it's not one I want to live in. It's not one I want my children to have to live in. And the only way out, I fear, I'm sorry to sound so dark, is um, to build intentional communities yeah. and rely on each other. And like I said, one of the frameworks that seems to work best all over the world is communities of faith. Well, and here's, time and, and here's the thing, you know, God, God built the world in a certain way. And when he cut with the grain and part of that grain is building community that God cut. And, and when you, when you build and construct your community around the way he built the world, um, that's, that's where you're going to find peace. That's where you're going to find life. That's where you're going to find thriving life. You know, I actually think over the next uh, 20 to 40 years, I think we're in a fight. I think um, COVID 2020 is very clear that we're kind of in this, you know, new battle for what it means to be a human even, <laughs> um, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But, but when you design, yeah. we, we like to use Nassim Tlaib's uh, uh, terminology, anti-fragile. When you design kind of your life in an anti-fragile way, and that is um, cutting with the grain of how God built the world, uh, you're going to be able to, you're going to be more anti-fragile when things get tough and when things get hard. 
It's um, fascinating you mentioned that. Charlie Kirk sent me that book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a great uh, book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that guy and Nassim Tlaib was so fragile during COVID, which is it was super, it was kind of it was super sad. Kind of you know, I think there's another thing, too, to be said that, um, and I always remember this because of David Bonson. He reminds me of this, is that, you know, at least here in America, one thing has been true. So, uh, Dr. Malone, I don't know if you know this, Gabe was one of the people who got arrested uh, during the pandemic when we, our church was outside right. singing psalms. And I don't know if you've probably seen it, uh, Donald Trump, the president, retweeted Gabe's arrest. Yeah. Um, it was one of the, you know, we were out there protesting with singing psalms. Not and, standing six feet apart, and, not wearing not a mask rejecting in our all city. Of, yeah, in our yeah. city. But one of the things that's come uh, from that is that it, it, through the courts and through it all set up, we won the legal case that this was right to do and it was wrong right. for the city to stop us from doing it. Yep. We are not so far gone that we can't get it back. And a lot of it is going to have to happen at a very local level. Like you were talking about being very intentional where we are, where God's place is in our, in with our, our churches and being able to engage right there and not letting the local politics be at the place where it says we only think yeah. of the federal environment. Yeah. We have a place to win at a local level because of our setup. And we don't need to give that up just because we have some bumps here and there. Yeah. Stand there, stand in the gap and fight. And this is not something that we can't win. We are in the best place and out of all the places in the world with all the globalism that's happening and the push from the World Economic Forum and the, the whole I think America still has the best chance because of the Christian setup of the nation that has given the division of powers. There is real authority in our local level. There's real authorities with our sheriffs. There's real authority with our city councils. There's real authority with our churches. With mom and dad. The real authority with our families. And where we build those structures tight, then we have a place to fight from that begins to make everything fall into its proper place. So I, I don't think we should give that up at all. And I agree with you. We need to get way more solid on that. Dr. Malone, I know we've run out of time, yeah. but I want to thank you for coming on the show. Can people, Twitter is a good place. Substack is a good place to follow you. Where else can people follow you at? Well, we do have the Malone Institute, which has a lot of the things about the World Economic Forum and oh. more uh, lengthy stuff. Uh, so that's maloneinstitute.org. Okay. And uh, but the main ones are Twitter, Getter, Gab, Truth Social, at RW Malone MD, and Substack is what keeps us alive. It's what brings you know allows us to buy tractor parts uh, and feed the horses, and that's rwmalonemd.substack.com. You don't have to subscribe. Okay, we the people that subscribe, which is a small subset of our totals. Yep. Um, are are gratefully appreciated. They are my the customers that I focus on, yeah. the paying subscribers. But anybody can subscribe for free. I know not for a lot of people, five bucks a month is a big deal. And uh we're not we're not keeping information away from anybody. So if you subscribe, it'll come into your email inbox. And uh, unless you're using a Microsoft product for some reason, then it might well go into your junk mail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. Malone, if there's anybody that I want having a voice out there, you're definitely one of the top people. So I really appreciate you and the work that you've done. Very grateful. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for your support and your kind words. Yes. And I look forward to our next chat. Absolutely. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next time, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight. 
laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow. Through the Spirit, God's Word changes lives. It cuts us to the heart and reshapes us. As you strive to read and study scripture, having a good set of tools can help. From setting reminders for a great reading plan to word studies and commentaries that shed light on difficult passages to listening on the go, the Olive Tree Bible app can help you dig into the word wherever you are. Olive Tree Bible app, read, study, listen, anywhere.